Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini, and welcome to another episode of MedTech Money brought to you by Project MedTech. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review, and you can always visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, or follow us on LinkedIn. If you are enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching Project MedTech on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. Project MedTech is an interview-style podcast on the medtech industry where guests share stories, advice, pitfalls, trends, and innovations. In this episode, our host, Giovanni Loricella, and our guest, Mina Fahim from MetaView, discuss their $10 million seed round, the importance of trust within your company and team, the difference between timing versus luck, and the confusion between both, culture within and outside the company, how he met his company, how they raised almost $10 million in a safe, why investors invest in the team and storyline, get comfortable with hearing no, and so much more. So without further ado, Giovanni's discussion with Mina Fahim. Mina, thank you very much for being here with us today. This is the MedTech Money podcast series powered by Project MedTech and sponsored by Lifeblood Capital. Very excited about this one. We have a big announcement that's already public that you have raised $10 million as a seed round, and we're going to dig into that. Um, but more importantly, you and I have known each other for a while and very excited to say that I finally got a chance to meet you in person not too long ago when we had the inaugural Project MedTech conference over in Akron, Ohio. So very glad to have met you in person. Here we are doing a podcast. And the reason for this podcast is I've talked to numerous MedTech entrepreneurs like yourself, as well as investors around the world. And what I've discovered is that there's no silver bullet specific formula or even magic about how to raise and invest capital in MedTech. So my goal here is I wanted to extract insights to demystify this process and help medtech innovators benefit from this information. So the audience typically listening in right now is certainly medtech entrepreneurs as well as investors. And what I'd like to share is your stories and advice with what I imagine is that first time founder or CEO who has no clue at what lies ahead of them on this journey of raising capital. And I thought the best place to start is from learning from experienced professionals just like yourself. And once again, recapping here, the, the major topic here, we have some subcategories that I'm really excited to dig into. But first and foremost, um, you had a large capital raise and it was a $10 million safe note, if I'm not mistaken. So I, I really want to understand all about that because I have a lot of questions on how do you raise $10 million on a safe, but we're going to dig into that as well as your background and certainly the company that you're building. But before we do all of that, I'm going to jump right into some open-ended questions so we can warm up this conversation. Awesome. The first one is, do you believe that people and money are the lifeblood of a med tech startup? Why or why not? Or would you add anything? Yeah, no, it's, uh, thanks for having me on, Giovanni. It's, uh, it's awesome to be on with you and excited to share the story and learn from you all as well. And uh, before we jump in, I should have negotiated as part of this deal that I got a Project MedTech shirt like you're wearing. That's what I should have negotiated as part of this. Uh, no, but uh, in all seriousness, I mean, I, I think you guys at Lifeblood Capital put it really well, right? People and money are the lifeblood of MedTech startup. I would um, take it just a step further. Um, 
connecting people to the money and informing them on the strategy really pulls that lifeblood through the veins of the company, right? And I think that is, um, there's the lifeblood, but then how do you get that lifeblood to actually spread across, right? For at the risk of a poor med- medical uh, analogy to spread right through the veins of the company and really infiltrate all parts of it. And I think that is absolutely critical in how we think about um, the lifeblood and the and the the core of a medtech strategy and medtech company. Um, and we really look at it in a couple of ways um, with people. How do you help them recognize a meaningful purpose? Why are they? Why are they uh, your medtech startup? We can't. Sometimes we can't compensate at the same level as a Fortune 50 company. You're, you're working long hours, you're expected to go above and beyond. You're sometimes taking away time from family. We try to mitigate that at Mediview, but there's there's you've got to give them a purpose. And that purpose has to be inspirational um, and connecting them to that purpose so they feel responsible for delivering on it and being inspired to do so. You've got to let that be a motivation that carries out through the entire company. and. You also have to help them realize their value. And one of the things I actually learned the hard way is helping people realize their value comes from both sides. Some people actually come in with a fair understanding and a really, you know, their perspective as their value in a company. And you've got a level set, right? Because you might think the value of an individual is, you know, X, but they look at it as Y. And fundamentally, you've got to actually be able to connect with them on their level as how they define their value, right? As a person and a professional. So being able to, again, pull that lifeblood of the capital and connecting the people to the strategy to help inspire through a very strong purpose that then motivates them and makes them feel then believe that they are truly responsible and and responsible for delivering on the vision uh, that your company is trying to achieve, right? That's a motivation that's hard to to replace with anything else. And you know, you're asking people to go above and beyond. And you know, I'll just wrap that part of it is the way we embody that at Mediview is really what we call the four T's of our cultural values, and they are specifically in this order. And I can get into them um, a little bit later, but fundamentally, the four T's in this order are trust team, transparency, and track record. And people hear, hey, why is track record or results last in that order? Isn't that important? And yeah, it absolutely is. And we don't diminish the value of results. And we'll actually talk talk about track, track record in the context of fundraising. But if you don't have trust within a team that's transparent with one another, you might as well board up the windows and lock the doors because those results are either not going to come or are going to be beyond schedule, beyond budget, and completely out of scope from what you've expected. So that's how we look at people, money, and strategy um, at Mediview. I love that. You created your own equation there and made it super methodical. So thank you for sharing that. And and actually, I want to jump into this next question. It's, it's this notion of luck and You've worked at corporate companies, you've joined a startup company, you've grown within that startup company to now lead the startup company. And not only how you've grown your career, but also having raised capital successfully at this point, having built a technology and and currently still building a technology and all these multifacets that we have to deal with within this regulated environment. 
do you believe in luck and how much does luck play into the success of MedTech? So what I would say is go create your own luck, right? I mean, that's, uh, do I believe purely in the concept of luck on its own? To be honest with you, Giovanni, I don't, right? And more than luck, timing more so than luck. And there is something called being too soon or too early, and there's definitely being too late. Um, but how you go create your own luck, I think we always think about, right, if, if you say, hey, name a lucky scenario that happened to you at a startup. I don't want to say most, but a lot of people would say, man, just by chance, I met Giovanni at this at this conference, right? But people always say, you know, it doesn't matter what you know, it's who you know. I actually change that a little bit, right? It comes in phases. What you know leads you to who you know, and then who you know leads you to who you will know, right? And I think that just that starting point is like, hey, I'm not saying it wouldn't have happened, right? Um, yes, my, you know, my, so my wife, she's, I have four rather blank walls. And my wife was like, you need something colorful in your office. So she got me this nice painting of Minneapolis. And, but, you know, if I would have went into art, right, Giovanni, art is amazing, right? But would I have met you? I, I don't know. The chances are probably lower. Yeah, I'm an engineer, right? So I look at statistics and probabilities. So luck, if I want to come back to your point, rather than calling it luck, you know, there's probability and, but you can go out and you can increase the likelihood and the probability of who you know, based on what you know, and then don't be shy about asking, hey, can you make an introduction here if you believe in what we're doing, if you believe in the team? But I think that timing part is really important. Giovanni, it's part of the strategy at MediView around timing where, you know, yes, we have a very novel augmented reality x-ray vision for clinical procedural navigation and guidance, where you can see through the skin, you can see the anatomy in 3D, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But we asked ourselves the question, and this was back in early 2019, is the industry and market and users, are they ready for right a Ferrari? Or do we got to start at a Honda Civic, which, you know, Honda Civics are great, right? Get you from point A to point B. And the timing, and you, you know, we did we did this based on a on a hypothesis, and it's played out really nicely because we were able to get to market 18 months sooner than anybody expected with an entry-level product that timing was right because people were just starting to learn about what is augmented reality, how is it being used clinically. And now you've seen this ramp up to saying, oh, okay, now I'm going from the basics of AR to full holographic surgical navigation. Hey, it took two years for the market to get there, but right, timing is critical. So really in summary, Giovanni, instead of really believing purely in luck, we look at it as figure out how to mitigate timing risk and optimize timing opportunity. And then number two, right, use what you know to get to who you know. And then once you meet those who you knows, don't worry, don't, don't be scared or shy about asking, hey, can you lead me to who I will know that can carry the, the, the opportunity forward? I don't know if you thought through these questions or what, but these are some good answers so far. So thank you for sharing all these. Um, I'm going to jump right into this next one. You've raised 10 million on a safe note. Once again, we're going to go into that detail of how you did it. But having been through that process and ultimately getting invested in by investors, from your perspective as an entrepreneur, what is the most investable skill set or characteristic 
of a med tech entrepreneur? Or in other words, what do you think is that one thing that every entrepreneur must have or, or should have in order for an, uh, an investor to invest in? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, Giovanni, I'm going to, my, my answer is going to sound um, like a contradiction, but let me kind of explain what it is. And it's, you know, the one thing is actually two words. It's confident humility. That if I really were to boil it down to, to what, why and what have people invested in at MediView? And I'm not claiming to your point earlier, right? I'm not a 20 year med tech uh, veteran, startup veteran. I am a med tech veteran, but not a startup veteran, um, right? We've done it one and a half times we have, um, and we're, we're, we're making really good progress, but that confident humility. And I, where I'll start with that is you joined a startup because you have a confidence in you've got something unique, you've got something special, and you've got something differentiated that's gonna make a difference, right? That's the confidence. And you start building a team, right, that grows that confidence and becomes a force multiplier. And you instill, if I tie it back to your first point, right, you inspire and you motivate confidence within that team. And you, your confidence has to, again, run through the veins of the company to get that motivation and that confidence in all functions, whether it's engineering or commercialization. But the humility comes in knowing your gaps, and understanding your gaps and not leaving them as blind spots and being okay with saying, you know what, I know just enough finance to be dangerous to help the company to a certain threshold in time. But once we get to that time, have the foresight out of humility to say, when we get here, we're going to need someone to head up our finance area. And then surround yourself with people that can run circles around you in those specific areas and functions. That's to me, that's really exciting because that does two things. You know, selfishly, I learn a ton from those people, right? Will they will I ever become, you know, the best marketer in the world? No, that's not, you know, that's not the God-given skill set I was given, and that's okay. But to learn some of these very unique marketing skill sets, and then to be able, that's one thing where I get to learn selfishly, but more importantly, the organization just gained a force multiplier in an area. That is, if you got to time it right, and I think that's the other thing to think about is having that foresight and timing of when should you bring in specific functions to inform your investment and fundraising strategy is absolutely critical. So that confident humility, then, you know, now go, that's the humility component, the confidence. And this is a tough skill set, Giovanni, as you know, change and influence management is something that is critical both in the success of a medtech startup, as well as the fundraising to get to where you need to go. Being able to influence and change people's minds, both investors and customers, right? Especially when you're doing something as new and novel as MediView, right? Which gets to that, the, my last point, tell the story, right? Tell the story of your company and where it started and how it started, and then tell the story of your team. And Tell them why it is a world-class team that is truly delivering on a world-class opportunity that patients at the end of the day are going to benefit from, right? You've got to, at the end of the day, connect the dots between the story. Because, you know, someone like you, Giovanni, you're not at many of you every single day. So we better be able to communicate to you in 30 seconds why MediView is so special. Excellent. 
Um, and going into your entrepreneurial and actually what you just described in, in amazing leadership skills, that's basically summing it down to what you just shared as, as being a great leader and, and how do you influence your own organization by surrounding yourself with additional amplified talent in their certain silos. Having been this medtech entrepreneur and leader, if you knew what you know now about being a medtech entrepreneur, would you do it all over again? Why or why not? Or do you just imagine yourself doing something differently? Um, I, I wouldn't even hesitate to do it again. And uh, this is a kind of a, a black ops still in, um, uh, in stealth mode. Um, there's already something uh, in the works um, in addition to MediView. MediView is absolutely the focus um, right now. But would I do it again? It, yeah, absolutely. And um, I'll never forget my first conversation with uh, Greg Miller, who is our CIO and acting CTO right now. Um, the first phone call I ever had with him, he said something, you know, he goes, you're leaving the world's biggest medical device company, literally at Medtronic, and you're going to be employee one. Now, him and I started within two hours of each other um, because of time zone differences. So we can argue who's employee one. That's okay. Um, but, but Greg, said, you're betting on three things. You're betting on the novelty of what this is going to do for customers. You're going to bet on the team that we're going to build together. And you're going to bet on yourself, right? And hey, listen, if let's just call a spade a spade, Giovanni, right? Eight out and eight and a half out of 10 startups fail. And you know, and so right, the odds and the statistics aren't always in your favor, but you, you know, you take that with a grain of salt. We have all intentions and all purpose and all drive to be that 10 to 15% that succeed. But he said, you're betting on yourself, the team and the company. And that's really exciting because tying it again back to that confident humility that then feeds back into a way of motivating, inspiring, purpose-driven teams and company, right? That That's really special. And some companies, the, the, the best companies in the world have mastered that. Right. So that opportunity to build that and try our hand and my hand at it, it's exciting for me. And I think the one thing just to remember is that you're not always going to have consensus or even agreement within the team about especially some critical decisions that the business has to make. But more than anything, keeping them informed because you asked, what will we do You know, different? This isn't necessarily we do, do different, but um, in our world, Giovanni, we literally have video game developers, right, coming in to build medical devices. And what we've learned is that if you've never been in medtech startup and you don't know design controls and the code of federal regulations and all of the things that come as baggage with med device, you got to set the expectation with someone that's never been in med device development so they know what the heck they're getting themselves into because a couple of things will happen if you don't. And we, you know, fundamentally, in, in all honesty and transparency with you, Giovanni, we, we didn't do this perfectly, um, where someone came in that was from the gaming world, and they're still with the company, um, thank God, but they're like, what are all, what is all this paperwork? Why do I have to follow this specific process to build what I'm building? And, I, and one of the things that I've learned through this job in my time at MediView is two fundamental keywords, whether it's internal business operations or customer facing is expectation setting, 
right? And so what would we do differently is I would be very diligent and, and we have been right since then, right? Because it's always like, what would you do different? Well, it doesn't have to be what would you do different in the future? Now we're looking at what are we doing differently based on what we've learned right up to this time in, you know, time, up to this time. And it's expectation setting, expectation setting with people coming into the organization, expectation setting with people in the organization, expectation setting with investors and expectation setting with customers about what your product is and is not today, but will be in the future, right? So would I do it again? Absolutely 100%. That opportunity to build a team and build something that you're betting on, right? That experience is invaluable. And then expectation setting with both internal and external stakeholders is absolutely critical. So out of all the information you shared with us thus far on entrepreneurship in its pure form, is it glamorous being a medtech CEO? Who are, who are you asking? Uh, me, my <laughs> wife? Uh, um, I'm asking you. Um, here's what I'll say, Giovanni. I mean, it, being a medtech CEO has its rewards and challenges, but fundamentally the best way that I can put it is that it is truly a privilege and an honor to be able to sit at the intersection of all the parts of our business, right? If I really wanted to, is it glamorous, right? Some days, uh, um, hey, you know, I get to do things like this with you. That's pretty cool, right? So just like, I mean, is, is being a parent glamorous? Well, okay, if you're changing, I have a one-year-old, right? So if I'm changing a poopy diaper, is that glamorous? Uh, no, not always, right? But when you're with, when I'm with Theo, who's our little guy, and he's laughing because he just pulled daddy's headset, earphone, right? My my headphones out of my ear and is laughing and just threw it across. Yeah, it's hilarious and it's wonderful and I love it. Um, so, right, med tech startups are kind of like a baby, right? You're literally starting from scratch and you're building it out and you're gonna get some things right and you're gonna get some things wrong. And there's a spectrum there. and. I think the one thing that our board and advisors is surround yourself with amazing advisors. We're re, we're in a couple over the course of the next six weeks here, we're going to be announcing new members of our advisory board that are really exciting um, that come from both med tech and non med tech industry at both startup and some of the world's biggest names that you guys will recognize right off the bat and being able to have access to people like you, Giovanni, and people that are on our advisory board that we get to glean information from and learn from, that's an honor, right? That's a privilege. So being able to sit at that intersection of all of the parts of the business is a blessing. Um, and I think we, I, I've really learned in, in that in being in this role and serving as a leader, either a startup or, right, or not a startup, you got to be able to connect the dots for people across different levels of the organization because that will define your culture. It will, it is the single thing of how well do people feel connected to the organization, to each other, and to the purpose and strategy. People, you know, there's a lot of components to culture, but this is a critical one. How much and how truly do people? feel connected across the organization, both inside and outside is absolutely critical. And again, right, being able to sit at that intersection of that Venn diagram of development and regulatory commercialization and quality and clinical and research, right? 
being able to create that web that ties it all together and encourage people, hey, go go meet in those other areas, right? If you're interested, if you're in development and want to learn about commercial, go learn about commercial, right? Give people a chance to grow, develop, and learn. That's a pretty special opportunity to be able to do that where, where I sit today. And you've mentioned the name a few times, MediView, and help me if I'm wrong. MediView XR is the is the official name? Uh, that's our legally documented name, but our branding is gonna, is dropping the XR. So it's just going to be MediView. MediView. What does the name of your company mean? How did you arrive at MediView? So if, uh, if, if, if I didn't know anything about MediView, which is unfair because I know a lot about it, right? If I heard that, our goal is that someone hears that it can like with very little explanation, medical visualization, right? MediView. And that's fundamentally what we are, Giovanni, right? The greatest gift. And John Black, one of the co-founders of MediView, um, uh, talks about this is the greatest gift clinicians have is their vision. And today, right, you know, it's actually by law now for new vehicles that are being built in the automotive industry is they have to have certain safety features built in when they're backing up their camera, right? Where it shows you where you're going, when your lane moves, if you're merging and it, it blinks or yells at you, hey, there's a car coming, right? So the automotive industry has realized by implementing better visualization or situational awareness tools, you can save lives, right? And that's real. And today, the clinicians have become so good at these mental gymnastics of a 2D black and white grainy screen that looks like a TV from the 50s, right? To convert that into a 3D model in their head, to then convert it into what's actually happening in the body and be able to do that um, very, very effectively, efficiently. It's, it's difficult, right? And some cases, and types of procedures are even more difficult than others. So even for the most skilled clinician or someone that's starting out, our goal is to help give clinicians the greatest sense they have in better visualization to help with guidance and navigation of minimally invasive or surgical procedures that are done with a little cut in the body instead of having to open the entire body up to go, you know, to deliver the therapy that you're trying to do. So medical visualization. Um, and it really has three components. The literal part of visualization, I can literally see much better. I got that backup camera. I got that sensor to tell me to avoid this structure, that structure. Um, so that's the first, right? Literal vision, right? Visualization. But then there's the the, the concept of, of vision of another person, a second set of eyes, right? Imagine Giovanni, if I was your resident, right? And you're performing a procedure and you want me to be able to learn intuitively. Well, we give people the ability to share their vision, literally, right? So I could be across the world and you could be doing a procedure and I could see what you're seeing in real time and be able to learn or proctor or support or give a second opinion, right? So we bring a second set of eyes into the procedure very seamlessly from a first person perspective for that onsite caregiver. So that's the second part of vision. So first part is literal vision, right? For the onsite caregiver. The second part is seamless remote collaboration between a onsite caregiver and a remote resource. Maybe it's an industry professional or maybe it's another clinician. And then the third type of vision we provide is evidence-based insights, right? 
data-driven best practices, that vision and that foresight as to what is the best thing to do for this patient at this time gives them that next level of vision, which is really, Giovanni, when you add it all up, MediView's cores of visualization, collaboration, and evidence-based insights are really the core of the three types of vision that MediView seeks to deliver to our clinicians. So my, my next question is, who are you? But before we get in there, just to preface it, I, it was usually a two-part work. Who are you and what is the company that you're representing? And you just did an amazing job talking about MediView and, and also the technology. So I'm still going to ask the two-parter. But after we get done with your introduction and, and letting the world know who's listening in now who you are, um, when you jump back into MediView, if you want to wrap around a business, like how old is it? How many people work there? You just talked about the technology, but if you want to get any more granular on the business side of it, please go ahead and let us know what MediView is. And then after we're done with that, we're going to get into the limelight story of how you raise capital and even from yourself of doing it, I assume, from a first time perspective. Yes. You raise okay, perfect. And so um, we're going to get into all of that on the capital raise. So let's just first do some introductions real quick. Everyone who's been listening in right now. It's been an amazing insight on entrepreneurship and leadership and culture building. Um, and now we know obviously what MediView is all about, but the man behind the voice, Mina Fahim, who's currently the CEO of MediView, who are you? Where do you come from? How did you build your life, your academics, your professional career to ultimately end up at the helm of CEO of MediView? And then when you get there, just jump into MediView on whatever else you'd like the world to know about what you guys are doing. And then also maybe even where you plan on going. Yeah, no, thanks, Giovanni. Like I said, it's an absolute pleasure to be on with you guys. And um, so, you know, just to give you like, who am I as a person? Um, I am. Uh, so I was actually born in, in Cairo, Egypt. I come from a family that immigrated to the States um, in the very early 90s. I learned, um, right, my parents came here when they were in their uh, late 30s, early 40s. And, I, you know, I, I learned the value of hard work and adopt, you know, how to adapt and how to change and uh, how to, it's not the scenario that matters. It's the reaction to the scenario that matters. Um, so if I, uh, you know, who am I? Um, I'm, I'm a son, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a servant. Um, and uh, that, you know, if I really were to sum up like, hey, you know, what, what, what comprises your day? Um, you know, that's, uh, it, it really goes right, my, you know, God, my family, and, and my work. And uh, that, that really is who I am. It's what motivates me. And I don't compartmentalize them, right? They're all part of who I am. And so the idea of like, who am I as a person versus a professional, right? They tie into one another. And um, I've been in the medical device space for a long time now. I got to, you know, I started out in structural heart. So literally, right, if you ever watched the, <clears throat> the TV show, The Magic School Bus way back when, I, I was part of a team that actually created a heart valve that was able to be implanted without ever having to open the chest of the patient. It's referred to, and I actually have seen you uh, post about TAVR, you know, transcatheter aortic valve replacement and transcatheter mitral valve replacement. I was part of that from um, literally, right, concept to commercial and seeing that all the way through. I had the coolest job. Um, and then I was uh, uh, I was at Abbott then, St. Jude Abbott, before Abbott acquired St. Jude. Um, and then Medtronic tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, stop being a plumber, 
come be an electrician. Um, so I joined their uh, space of electrophysiology, atrial fibrillation for people that have irregular heartbeats and being able to uh, heat or cool the heart to correct that heartbeat instead of having to be on antiarrhythmic drugs for the rest of their life. It could be an outpatient procedure that literally has the opportunity to completely alleviate their irregular heartbeats. Um, so I did that for a number of years and I've always kind of been an intrapreneur inside of the big organizations. So at Abbott, I helped design um, a solution that could tell the clinician when a heart valve was at risk of failing before it actually failed. So they could intervene earlier. Um, when I was at Medtronic, um, I was actually starting the augmented reality and artificial intelligence group within the cardiac business that then flowered into something across all of the functions at Medtronic. And so um, the, the, that actually led me, and if I tie this back, Giovanni, to our conversation earlier about what you know leads you to who you know, and then who you know leads you who do you, who you will know, um, the, you know, the Cleveland Clinic had an innovation pitch competition, and they said, hey, we need someone to go out and judge this because of mixed reality and artificial intelligence um, are the AI and AR are the focus of this year's competition at the Cleveland Clinic. And they said, well, you seem to know a thing or two about this. Can we send you? And to fast forward, I actually met the Mediview team and I was very skeptical of what they were claiming at the time. Um, but I met them at that pitch competition. They did really well, uh, John Black and Dr. Charles, Mar uh, Charles Martin. Um, he's uh, the director of interventional oncology at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, and one thing led to another, fast forward a year and a half, and I joined Mediview in 2019 as the CTO. Um, and then uh, one thing led to another, and the board and the co-founders asked me to step into this role. And um, it, you know, that's, I didn't take that lightly, right? I mean, you're, you're responsible for families, you're responsible for the, the, the well-being of these people, you're responsible for the investment that people have entrusted the company with as a fiduciary responsibility to make good use of the funds, to grow the value of the company and actually find its way to the bedside. Um, so after I prayed about it, talked to my wife about it, sought the counsel of a couple of my mentors, um, I said, hey, if this is how I can best serve the organization to grow into something special, I'm happy to do so. So I took that over in uh, September of uh, 2021, so just about six months now. Nine, eight months now, actually, um, and, and uh, you know, celebrated the foundation, right, of what John and Adam team there had established. Um, but we're on a really exciting trajectory, and uh, I have a nonprofit organization called Salt. It's, it stands for Serving Apostolic Love and Testimony, and it's a mission organization that looks at medical, social, and spiritual mission um, across the world, but you know, really focuses in Africa and the U.S. Um, so that's how I look at the world through the lens of democratization of healthcare and starting out with your immediate sphere of influence and, hey, where can I make an impact today? And then let that ripple out, right? A lot of time we try to tackle the world. Well, you know, start where you can have an immediate influence and then let that success breed other success um, and additional growth. So that's, you know, who I am uh, as an individual. I, I, uh, I uh, you know, son, husband, father, servant, and uh, really for us, right, um, we look to what I really try to do every single day, um, some days I do it well, some days I don't do it well, is really be 
that bridge between the clinical business and technical aspects of the organization. And I'll never forget this. Omar Ishrak in a presentation um, that we were in one time, I think we got like 48 seconds in and he said, hey, don't you think I'm a pretty good businessman? I'm like, yeah, well, you're at the helm of the world's biggest medical device company. He said, stop talking to me about the business model. Do two things. Convince me that there's an unmet clinical need and then convince me he's an engineer by training, right? PhD engineer. So convince me that there's an unmet need. Convince me that you have a technical solution that can trace to those unmet needs and fill them. And then we'll figure out the business model of how can we have people pay for this solution in order to justify its value clinically. And I'll never forget that. So tying together the clinical need to the technology and tracing those to each other, and then letting the business model flow from that to say, how should we build a business model that, again, from a change and influence management perspective, makes sense to the organization and demonstrates that they can recognize a return on their investment for these clinical unmet needs. So a little bit about who I am and uh, my background and uh, where I come from. Well, I learned a lot about you. I know we've now met each other in person. We've known each other for a while, but I love asking that question because you just learn so much more holistically about the human being. So thank you for sharing that with us. And like I said, you mentioned a lot about the technology with MetaView, so we don't need to recover all of that, especially the benefits. But in terms of the company, how old is the company? Um, obviously, we'll get into the raise. This is the seed round. Um, how big are you? And then just quickly, what are your visions of grandeur of growth over the next maybe year or two? Yeah, so um, the the company was started by a couple of co-founders, uh, medical device uh, commercialization experts, John Black and Adam Rakestraw in 2017. Um, and it was uh, actually technology that was incubated out of the Cleveland Clinic's Learner Research Institute, a world-class biomedical engineering research institution um, by Dr. Jeff Yanoff um, and Dr. Carl West. Um, and uh, both on the engineering and technical side, long time on the med device side. Um, and you know, just tying it back to your previous question, Giovanni, right? Um, uh, I didn't care that it wasn't my team at Medtronic that figured this out. I saw that somebody had figured out how to put a hologram of a patient inside the body and then trust it enough to drive a needle or a catheter or instrument to that anatomy based on the hologram. Very, very special. So John and Adam saw this uh, back in 2017. Um, they have we were able to secure um, a worldwide exclusive perpetual license for all procedures, structures, imaging modalities, head to toe. So um, in regards to how we accomplish that marriage between the digital world and the physical world, how we do it, we own head to toe for any structure, any procedure any imaging modality um, and have a really strong, uh, robust IP portfolio that continues to grow. Um, so that was back in 2017. They continued to burn down some risk until they were able to do five inhuman IRB procedures uh, with Dr. Martin at the Cleveland Clinic, specifically around cancer and cancer treatment and minimally invasive cancer treatment using ablation, um, meaning heat, cold microwave energy to kill cancer. And they got to that point and were able to raise um, a, a four and a half million dollar seed round back in October of 2019 um, and still maintain control of the company, which was awesome. Um, we've since then, the company 
really became operational in October of 2019. Um, that's when I joined. Uh, I joined literally the day we got the keys to the office um, in Cleveland. So I live in Minneapolis. I'm in Cleveland uh, once or twice a month for a week, um, which that gets back to your point about glamorous. I love being in Cleveland, but it means I'm away from my family for a week at a time, sometimes multiple times a, a month, which is which is hard. But it also, I hope, communicates how much and how special what many of you have, many of you has, and how unique it is, um, because that's a sacrifice that myself and others of the team are willing to make. So, we just hired our twenty uh, seventh employee. Uh, we are um, in a growth phase right now. Uh, we just, as we'll, and we'll talk about this, um, closed a ten million dollar safe round, which puts us in a really exciting opportunity to deliver on some unique milestones and value creation for the organizations and current investors ahead of our next equity financing round. So 27, almost 30 people now. Uh, we uh, are post-revenue, still early revenue, but still we can we have actual paying customers for our augmented reality imaging solutions. We have a couple research sites that are onboarded. Um, we have another couple clinical sites that are coming on board this year. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just been an incredible journey from a, um, a technology component, a integration of real-time use in humans under IRB, and obviously from a fundraising perspective, um, that's where the company is at. So, you know, we're, uh, we've, we're on a good trajectory and have some really exciting next steps coming up for the growth of the organization, the rest of 22 and into 23. That's awesome. Very, thank you very much for sharing yeah. that. So I, I want to jump into the, the topic of the hour now, which is this capital raise that you've gone through. I have some high level topics that I certainly want to cover in the rest of our time together. But I want to take it a little bit more elementary and get mechanical just so the, our audience who's listening in and keep in mind if we if we imagine this audience listening and being first time founders or, or wannabe <laughs> entrepreneurs um, and have never been through this before. So you mentioned you, you raised a $10 million safe note. What is a safe note? Yeah, um, I didn't know nine months ago, so I will share with you everything that I've learned. And, um, you know, I do have to just pause right before I jump into that and give a lot of credit to um, Adam Rakestraw, who's one of the co-founders and uh, has been a big partner um, with our board and actually figuring out how to go about this funding round. And um, I've learned along the way and participated. Um, so, I mean, that's the first thing, right, is make sure you have a really good partner. Doing it completely by yourself is difficult, especially for the first time. And even if they are also a first time uh, uh, founder or first time raising capital, two brains are better than one always. Um, and so I'll, I'll jump into that in a little bit, but a safe note, it's an acronym. It stands for standard agreement for future equity. So it is not an equity-based investment right now. It's think of it as a convertible note, um, right? A convertible note typically bears two things, both interest and a discount. And uh, you, you accrue interest until that note converts. And then when it converts, you get to buy equity at a discounted rate. So it has a, a multiple facet, you know, two multiples of benefit to the investor. A safe is very similar, right? Standard equity for future, for each, standard agreement for future equity is similar, but it does not bear interest, but it does bear a discount on the next price round, the next equity round. So why would someone participate in a safe um, versus wait to participate in an equity, um, in an equity round? And I think that's an important thing for us to talk about. And first and foremost, we can't, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, Giovanni. We were really lucky in that 
our early investors saw the potential of where Mediview was going and what was the value creation that was going to happen ahead of our next financing round. And they said, hey, we want an opportunity to help you guys go further, right? But at the time, we weren't at a point where we were ready to say, okay, we'll yet do another price round because the valuation, we were still increasing the value of the organization through milestones and activities and deliverables and performance, right? So there, it wasn't justified to say, we're going to take this much equity and give it away again. They say, you know what? That's okay. We know we're not going to be the primary investors in series A or your next equity financing, but we do want to participate further. And that really came with a demonstration of performance, being able to demonstrate two things. We told the investors what we were going to do with the lifeblood of capital that they gave to us. And then we did that. And then this goes back to our the, one of the things we talked about earlier. Then we told the story, right? We said, here's what we said we were going to do. Here's the funds that came in. Here's how they were used. Here's where we fell short and where we succeeded. But at the end of the day, we did deliver on what we said we were going to do. And that, so I'll get into the, you, you know, we, we'll talk about the, that in a minute. I know about how, how to go about raising capital and that change management, influence management. So the SAFE really is an instrument for people who want to continue supporting, and it can be new investors as well, um, the growth of a company ahead of a price round that they may or may not be able to participate in, but believe enough within the team, the technology, and the opportunity to help carry it forward. So they still get the benefit of a discount. And when this converts at our next equity, ex, ex, next equity round or next financing round, they will convert at a discount for them. Um, so they get that benefit. And a lot of them actually were part of the original seed convertible note. So they've kind of had a multiple, you know, force multiplier on the benefits they will realize when we do our next equity round, which right now we you know call series A, A plus, A1, A2, you know, we'll figure out the right name nomenclature for it. Um, but the next equity round. So that's what a safe is and how we were able to justify and garner the, the partnership of our current investors and also some new ones um, to help carry the company forward for value creation ahead of our next financing. So thank you for sharing that. I've I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs who have either raised on safes or, or certainly try and are trying currently to raise on safes. And, and even on this podcast series, we've talked a lot about safes where um, they were originally started out of Y Combinator. They have the format there that you can visit on the website. It felt like more of like a Bay Area, sometimes even West Coast feel. Um, there's been stereotypes which have since been broken where, you know, West Coast typically like safes, East Coast likes convertible notes. Um, I've had people on the podcast that have done the exact opposite of that, where they raise a safe note on the East Coast and they did convertible notes on the West Coast. We've talked to angel groups who say they don't do safes on the West Coast and only convertible notes. So we, we've broken that down. But what you just said was pretty interesting. And I just want to kind of wrap my head around the philosophy of this safe. Um, we've, we've heard that like sometimes safes can be thought of as a one-way street towards the entrepreneur. Cause like you said, they don't get that double compounded effect with a con uh, convertible note where there's interest in addition to a discount um, where sometimes we hear that that's why investors don't want to invest because maybe they got burned on them in the past. But it sounds like the story that you're sharing is, um, and especially on the 10 million that you raised off of the safe, because once again, historically the stories that I've been a part of on safes, you're talking about more classical seed rounds, mm -hmm. 500,000, 
maybe a million, maybe upwards of 2 million, but seriously in that hundreds of thousands, very low millions. I'm so excited to hear this story because I've never even heard of a $10 million safe before. Um, so it sounds like because you have this augmented reality technology that's tied to a clinical need that you're solving a massive problem. You're already re revenue generating early stages, like you mentioned. Um, and clearly based on what you share with us, leadership skills, entrepreneurial skills, ethics, morals, um, it, no wonder why investors want to invest in Mediview with the talent that's currently there right now, because we've learned throughout this podcast for sure that early stage investors want to bet on the jockey, especially when the product's not 100% done in there. So if it's not validated on the product yet, and there's not this just very clear objective business, what you're betting on is the team. So that makes a lot of sense. However, you mentioned the storyline. The You were able to convince investors to jump in on a safe. Is it because it's unique to Mediview? Because you guys just have this super sexy technology that's filling the super sexy unmet need. And it also just happens to be capital intensive. And there was just people who wanted to be a part of that, maybe even more emotionally rather than financially. Is that how you were able to capitalize on a safe? And, and why didn't you get so much pushback and be like, well, listen, if it's this sexy, if it's this great, if it's going to change the world this much, just find a basic comparison somewhere, make up some sort of tech number that's going to put a valuation through the roof and let me invest in equity. Like, How did you circumvent that? Yeah, and this is, again, um, where it comes down to the benefit of who our seed round investors were. And just, uh, just out of sensitivity for the individuals, Giovanni, right? I won't mention exact names, but um, we were part of our, our uh, early investors were high net worth individuals and some uh, groups that came together. And you said it very well, right? The first time this group was exposed to our technology, there was a lot of, um, oh my God, holy fill in the blank, right? With your favorite explicitives, right? And that, that emotional response um, that people have when they try our technology, it hooks them, right? We were just out at LSI a couple of weeks ago out in Dana Point. And, you know, we actually brought the entire system with us. We literally brought an OR into a hotel room and people, you try to explain it, right? And you show them videos and you show them pictures, but you put that headset on and it completely changes what you believe to be possible in medicine. So you have people that are clinicians and doctors who have invested with us and wanted to continue in, to invest, right? And then you have business professionals who, you know, and this does it, this is again, back to timing, right? The market to, right, the, the, the market today, Giovanni is really tough and people don't want their, 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 you know, their, their liquid assets sitting on the sidelines, right? And they want to do something special and impactful with it. When, you know, the market's losing every day, they're like, how can I put a, you know, so, yeah, hey, we're risky, right? I mean, it's an early stage med tech startup in a very um, groundbreaking space, but that emotional response um, to how people wanted to be involved, whether clinicians, business professionals, high net worth individuals that came from our seed. And we said, you all stand to win in a very big way with the organization as we continue to grow it ahead of our next round of equity. And you know, a lot of these people are don't come from an entrepreneurial background, Giovanni. So that excitement of being part of growing something is really exciting to them. So, and you know, it's just what it is. I mean, right, there is an aspect of FOMO in the investing world, right? I mean, it's reality, right? Just to say it, right? And that 
their their trust in the technology, their trust in the team, that inspiration of being part of something really special and growing something special and being the catalyst of increasing the value of the organization moving forward, that was really exciting to them. And you know, to put it simply, you said it very well, Giovanni, right? There's a sexiness to our technology. There's an impact to the fact that we're starting to work specifically in cancer. And some people in our organization um, have family members and children who've been affected by cancer. They're like, well, I wish there was a technology like this, right? Um, I had, you know, for for my family member or even child um, to be able to be treated with cancer this way. So there's just people being enamored by the technology, people being inspired by the purpose and the opportunity, and also that inspiration of, hey, I want to help build something um, really gets at the core. And then from a mechanics perspective, yes, it doesn't bear the interest that another note did, but again, that's because as an organization, right? We're like, we will either go to our next round of financing and the investors said, give us a shot, right? Give us a shot to help you grow, right? Because it's no secret, Giovanni, you know this better than I do. At our next financing round, we will we will be selling and uh, some aspect of equity and giving part of the company away, which is exciting, right? That to me is you're going to bring on new partners that are going to add value to the organization at a completely different level, but the current investors like we want to help you guys ahead of that. So that buy-in and trust from our previous investors to help grow the organization ahead of the next financing round, that really is what drove people to say, yeah, we'll come in. What do you need? And we had done a pretty good job forecasting what it would take to get to our XR90, which is kind of the Ferrari of our system, to 510K clearance. We're not there yet, right? We're working towards it. Um, we're on a really nice trajectory. But it, in a, to summarize it, it was that trust, that inspiration behind the purpose of what we were doing. And number three, being excited to help grow something that they helped start give birth to a couple of years ago. So I want to be sensitive to time, but I also want to squeeze the juice out of the rest of the time that we have left together. And, and I have several questions that I want to be able to get through. Sure. Um, first and foremost, your next round will be, I think you alluded to it, at least partially equity, if not an equity round, right? Yep. Okay. And, and out of the investors who invested into the safe note, did you go after the um, family offices and the angel groups and the non, well, I don't want to say non-professional investors, but you didn't go after VCs for this round, did you? Uh, we went to the, there are a number of hospital systems venture arms that did come in on the, on these terms. So there are individuals, there's a syndicate, as well as some of the uh, hospital system uh, venture arms that did come in on, the, on those terms. I'm glad that you mentioned that. So just to make that super clear, so, so you did some high net worth individuals, not the necessarily the traditional venture capitalists, but you have these hospital arms that are coming in here now, which is really interesting because also at the conference that you and I worked together earlier in March of this year, I was able to meet David Sylvan, who's the president of University Hospital Ventures. And, and fortunately enough, we're going to have him on the podcast coming up shortly, where we're just going to break open and demystify this. What does it mean to be a hospital venture arm? How do you invest? Why do you invest? What do you look for? So it's interesting that you mentioned that you had high net worth individuals and hospital systems invest into the safe round not necessarily the traditional VCs, you're probably going to save those for the next price round, I'm assuming, right? That's right. 
Okay, very good. My, my next granular question is 10 million on a safe. I haven't heard of it before. Um, I'm sure maybe it exists, but I, I haven't seen it. I don't remember any headlines in the past year at least. When you think of safe, it's that 500,000, it's that million, maybe two, like I talked about. How did you get to 10? And ironically enough, and this is going to be the, the other story that we're going to jump into, the press release said 9.9. It factually is 10, and we'll get to why that happened, which I'm excited to tell that story and have you tell that story. But even at 9.9, now 10, how did you end up raising so much on a safe? Was it just because the, the amount of capital necessary for your style of technology, or did you just oversubscribe by $8 million when you went to go raise a $2 million safe? Uh, we oversubscribed by not 10 or 8 million, maybe a million, but we went out and said, okay, we, let me just rewind a little bit, Giovanni. We first, we said, we know this and, we'll, and I hope we get into this, right? We talk a lot about key inflection points and milestones for a startup. And we knew the critical ones around early revenue, early clinical partners, FDA submissions and clearances, right? If you really talk about each of those areas, we had a really good roadmap to say, here's what it's going to take. And we went to the board and said, over the next 18 to 24 months, this is what the company's growth objectives are. And that was the benefit, you know, on our board is a 26 year hospital system CEO. Also on our board is the former CEO in the industrial manufacturing uh, plastic space that understands growth, milestones, timelines, execution, right? So we, we went back and said, here's what we're going to do in the next 18 to 24 months. They said, let us help you find funds to accomplish that ahead of your next priced round because it'll help the organization and it'll help the current investors, which was great. So it, we didn't necessarily go into it with the mindset of we're going to do a safe. We said, here's what we're in the traditional, right? You think when you go raise funds, you say, here's what we want to do in the next 18 to 24 months. And that's exactly what we did. And having partners like that on the board, Giovanni, that had connections to institutions and individuals, that was critical. And one of the things that we started out with, and, you know, we did the, it took us, right? It took us a, um, a decent amount of time, nine months to close that, right? That entire round of 10 million on the safe, nine, 10 months, um, which is a little bit on the higher end, but you know what? We, it benefited us in the long run. And what we ended up finding is these key milestones as we hit them along this journey, continue to inspire people who had already come in, to your point, Giovanni, on the smaller safe, but they're like, oh my God, will you guys take additional funding? Will you take an additional equity? And we're like, well, it's in our roadmap. This is where we got to get to. So if you want to come in and join us on this journey on these terms, which we were very explicit, right? We don't view it as a one-way street, Giovanni, because there are additional benefits of, um, we did some unique terms on our safe that go just above and beyond what, um, and that's something we, I, I can't necessarily share because of confidentiality with our, with our um, investors, but there was other benefits to the investors, right? And that, that comes down to having a really good lawyer and having someone that understands, right, med tech and venture raises and how to get creative with them to benefit existing and future investors. So we got people on board, but the unique thing is we had three huge events during this period. We had um, RSNA, the Radiology Society of North America conference, which is the world's biggest medical device conference. And existing and new who were eventually would become new investors started to see 
the excitement around MediView and started to see what we were building and clinicians reacting to it and industry reacting to it. And we were getting calls at the conference saying, will you take investment, right? I want to come in. I want to come in before it's too late. I want to help you guys grow. So that was RSNA, right? People seeing things on LinkedIn and social media and seeing the reaction from the industry and clinicians and saying, yeah, we want to come in. Then we had LSI and the same thing happened at LSI. People, uh, what by LSI is the Life Science Intelligence Conference that was at Dana Point a few weeks ago. And people calling us and saying, hey, even ahead of the conference, because we actually technically closed the safe ahead of the conference, um, but people were starting to see what was coming up and that we're going to be presenting and the type of people that were going to be there, both clinicians and industry and VCs. And they said, are you guys still, is your safe still open? And, you know, the way we got from 9.9 to 10 is one of the existing investors saw this happening and called us and said, hey, I want to double down. I want to I want to put another 100K in. Will you take it? And, you know, we, we, we strung, you know, we played it up a little bit. We said, yeah, yeah, we'll, t- we'll take the investment. We appreciate your partnership. Um, and that was and that was excellent. So to summarize why what I'm saying, Giovanni, is there was these time points starting from last year um, uh, and leading into this year where people saw excitement. They saw delivery on milestones and objectives, right? And they saw a level of impact that really excited and motivate them to come in. They saw revenue. They saw our class one registered solution. We now have a 510K that's been submitted and we're working through right now. We have another 510K coming up later this year. We've grown the team. So all these things start adding up. And again, if I tied all the way back to the beginning, Giovanni, it's how well can you tell the story to somebody that knows nothing about MediView and communicate and influence them that, hey, there's something really special going on here with a really special team with a very purpose-driven, impact-driven motivation to deliver care to patients, right? That really is, and that's not easy to do, right? That's, I'm not, I'm saying it simply, but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in order to accomplish that. So I have two more questions. One you just alluded to that I wanted to get the story out. Um, That question is, philosophically, you just told us about how they saw the press releases and what was going on. And all of a sudden, someone either doubled down or jumped in. All those entrepreneurs listening in who are maybe even currently raising right now, your new found um, aha moment of the power of social media and helping out influencing investment just speak to that. Just imagine you're speaking to a room of entrepreneurs who are currently in capital raises and, and they just don't use social media or even believe in its power. What's your what's your mechanics behind it? What would you advise them to do? What's the power of social media and amplifying the message so that you can ultimately get investment? Um, social media has connected parts of the world that were typically disconnected. And it has opened, it has evened the playing field for getting a message out there. And again, if I go back to the beginning, who you know will lead you to who you will know. And as you grow that network, don't be shy about reaching out to, I know people say, well, you should only reach out to people that you know. Well, but if it's a second tier or you know, on LinkedIn, right? A second, a second level connection, don't be shy about asking your first tier connection, hey, how do you know this person, right? And you know, um, one of my favorite books, Giovanni, is Never Split the Difference. And one of the things that it talks about is that you're never going to know if you don't ask, right? There's, and sometimes and you, you do take a risk, right? Because you might ask somebody that doesn't believe in what you're doing. And therefore, when they don't believe in what you're doing and that you ask them to go talk to someone else, 
they'll probably proactively go to them and say, hey, this group's going to come to you. We didn't invest or we didn't support them. And here's why. So you do run a risk, right? That risk is, is there. Um, so I, I, I don't want to sugarcoat that. But the impact of social media is two, twofold. It's leveled the playing field for reach. And it is also, I don't want to say leveled the playing field, but it also is allowing people to connect with people they may not have before. And the thing that I've had to learn, I'm still not great at this in all honesty, but I'm trying to get better, is the cadence and of content. And what is that content, right? Um, it's not just about the technology, right? You've got to connect with people on a meaningful level um, and, and engage and excite people that are in your network and then people who are in their network. And the, my really good friend, um, Mark, who's actually in real estate, um, he has a statement, right? He goes, your network is your net worth. And, you know, that speaks to the impact of not just financial net worth, right, but intellectual net worth and capital net worth and human resources net worth, right? And that's critical. And social media opens those doors. So we've actually gone down the human resources path to do that. We've, we've used social media to communicate uh, what happens at RSNA and up, we have a, I'll put a little plug in. You're going to, you're going to see the same thing. We're going to do the same thing at the upcoming SIR Society of Interventional Radiology. If you're going to be there, give me a shout. We're going to be there presenting. We're going to present on social media the same way. Um, some exciting announcements will come around around that time as well. So in summary, Giovanni, don't be afraid to reach out, but have a good story to tell and make sure you have compelling content that gets people interested in just reaching out to learn more. That's your goal, right? Inspire people to want to learn more. And that's what social media has done for us. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Here's my last question. I'll let you go. Um, first time entrepreneur, first time CEO, first time successful capital raiser. Um, all those people out there listening, you mentioned that you didn't even know what a safe was nine months ago. If you can give some big bullets out there, once again, speaking to this room of entrepreneurs, imagine that they're in front of you right now. What are some of the major aha moments and, and more philosophical, or even if you can speak to mechanics, um, what are some of the major aha moments in capital raises that you simply didn't know? I mean, even being in the industry where you knew that medtech startups had to go raise money and you're like, oh, well, that guy or girl just raised 10 million, that guy or girl just raised 20 million, that guy or girl just raised 500,000. And you never knew really what went into it. But now that you've done it, what are some of the major ahas and philosophical things that you can share with those listening now about what it really truly takes to raise capital? Be comfortable hearing no. Um, you're going to hear way more no's than yeses. And at first, right, I'm like, man, what we have is so awesome. And the clinicians believe in it. And the, 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 we're growing an awesome team, but you still get no's and you get a lot of them. And at first they kind of stung, right? But you build up a tolerance to them. And, and every no is an inspiration for the next conversation. And, you know, one of the things that we started getting into a habit of is we had debriefs after every pitch, after every conversation, after every elevator pitch, right? What, why did they say no? And we used it as a, you know, like watching tape, right? For sports. What do we get right? What do we get wrong? And then identifying trends and threads of similarity from the yeses that we got. And I think one of the things for first time, people who are doing this, entrepreneurs and uh, raise, you know, are raising, raising capital is I did not appreciate the 
value of simplifying the message so simply that someone could watch a video. If you go on our website, you'll see there's a new uh, graphic animation that tells the MediView story in cartoons, um, but short of someone being able to put the headset on, people say, oh, wait, yeah, now I get it. Right before we had pictures and words on slides. So pick a medium and a, and a medium that can effectively tell a story. And you know what? If you're not a good storyteller, it's okay, right? Go find somebody that is and tell them your vision. Tell them what you want people to take away. They will ask really hard questions. The guy that did ours, he doesn't come from a med tech background or medical background. He goes, I have no idea what you're telling me. He goes, I, what's a catheter? right? What, what is minimally invasive, right? Okay. Well, a catheter is like a straw and it slithers its way into the body to get to a specific target. Well, what's minimally invasive, right? So don't, don't, it's okay. Have that confident humility, that humility of, if you're not a good storyteller and you're not a, go find someone that is, I, I can't stress that enough. Um, and there's been many case studies in the industry, especially in the internet boom, where someone had better technology than their competitor, but their competitor told a better story and their competitor won because they told a better story. It's fact, it happens all the time. So, and I think the, the so I would say, get, be comfortable with no's, learn from your no's, draw the threads from your yeses. And you know what? If you have an opportunity to find high net worth individuals to start out at a pre-seed round or a seed round, don't be shy right? If they don't want to invest or they don't believe in what you're doing, they're smart people, right? They, they were not going to invest in people they don't trust, technology they don't believe in, or opportunities that aren't, that don't, that are not meaningful to them, right? It's okay. So tell your story, find someone that can tell the story well in a very simple way and really look at, hey, what are those common threads between the yeses and the noes to inform? Because listen, it's time intensive and you have to be selective with where you put your time. So first and foremost, we want to congratulate you on successfully raising the round that you have. So that's an amazing accomplishment that now no one can take away from you and your team. Secondly, we want to wish you great success in your next likely equity raise in your Series A or whatever you decide to call it. And thirdly, I want to say thank you very much for your time here today. This is Mina Fahim, CEO of Mediview, sharing his wealth of knowledge and experience with us and also a lot of philosophical insight on culture and leadership and entrepreneurship. So thank you so much for your time. This is the MedTech Money podcast series where we demystify raising and investing capital. Thank you, Mina. Thanks, Giovanni. It's a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.